Well, this Sunday I decided to come back behind the pulpit, retreat behind the pulpit. Um, reports were coming in from all quarters that uh, last Sunday my breath was terrible. And uh, so I, I don't know, probably next Sunday I'll probably just brush my teeth and I think that'll probably take care of the issue. Well, we've gone over so far uh, the, the first precept, the Sunday precept. And we covered last week uh, the precept about supporting the church. Okay, so monetary support, also talent and uh, time as well. And uh, this Sunday, um, we're going to bounce back to what in our current catechism is considered the third precept of the church. And that is what's known as the Easter duty. I think probably most of us have some kind of idea what the Easter duty is. It's, a, it's kind of a funny precept if you think about it. Uh, the, the precept is that you shall receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. You shall receive communion at least during the Easter season. Now, that season has been kind of blown up when it comes to the United States of America, so it extends actually from the first Sunday of Lent all the way to Trinity Sunday, which is the Sunday after uh, Pentecost. Now, I, I, it's a funny precept because I think a lot of people naturally would say, well, okay, so you got to receive communion at least once a year at that specific time. That's, I mean, isn't a precept uh, involved, doesn't a precept involve some kind of a burden or sacrifice? Like we get the whole, you know, you got to come to Mass every Sunday. Like, okay, that takes effort. Get that. And then, you know, giving money, no one likes to do that. So, that, I mean, that's a sacrifice. But what is it, why is that really a sacrifice? Or what's the burden in this whole thing of receiving communion? We receive communion all the time. What's the big deal? Why is this a precept? And to uh, properly understand the origin of this precept, you have to understand a little bit of history. This precept was uh, made a law, the church made this a law, a long time ago, about 800 years ago, in, uh, during the Fourth Lateran Council in the year 1215, so in the Middle Ages. And it was, uh, it was made specifically to deal with a particular problem that was going on before and really would continue to go on, and that is that uh, many people, it's very different than uh, it is today, but the majority of people at Mass would not receive communion, Okay. And uh, sometimes, you know, they get the guys would be going for years, for years, and they would attend Mass, which was, that's great, that's good. So they were fulfilling that obligation, but they weren't receiving communion because they knew they were not properly disposed to receive it. They were not in a state of grace. They were living in mortal sin. You know, maybe it was just a case of they like to go to the bar every weekend, I mean, as simple as that. And they just, well, they just let years go by and they say, you know, I'm not going to receive communion because I respect uh, the fact that, you know, uh, you got to be in a state of grace to receive communion. But at the same time, I like going to the bar. And so this would go on for years. And so the church says, okay, none of this. We, we really, we have, we're going to make it now another obligation that you have to receive communion. And so therefore you have to dispose yourself and get prepared. And so the guy who likes to go to the bar would say, Oh man, I gotta like go to confession now. I gotta get my act together. What's going on with it? Okay, so that was the purpose behind this precept. Um, so the third precept really has to do with our proper preparation and dispositions to receive Holy Communion. That's really what it's all about. 
And we see this actually in our gospel text today. So Jesus says, Gird your loins and light your lamps and be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding, ready to, ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds vigilant when he comes. So when we receive communion, it's like the master coming. He's returning from a wedding. And we need to be ready. We need to be well prepared and uh, disposed to receive him in holy communion. It says specifically, let your lights, uh, let your lamps be lighted. That, we can understand, is a symbol of grace, the grace of God in our hearts. Now, probably many of us have, uh, most of us were baptized as infants, and so we don't recall our own baptisms, but we have been present at various baptisms. There's a, a part of the baptismal ritual when the priest goes and he lights a little candle from the large paschal candle and he hands it to the sponsor on behalf of the child who's being baptized. And he says, this is the light of Christ. Keep it burning and so that when the Lord comes, he may find it lit. Okay, And that is a symbol of baptismal grace. Baptismal grace is quenched. The light of baptismal grace is quenched by mortal sin. And so what's being asked there is live a life, a Christian life, free of mortal sin so that you're ready for the Lord when he comes. And so here's Jesus saying, gird your loins and, and make sure your lamps are lit and be prepared so that when the master comes, you're going to be ready to receive him. So the first condition for the reception of Holy Communion is being in a state of grace. Now, even after this third precept was laid down by the church in the year 1215, it, it helped the situation, but it didn't completely remedy the problem. It was still the case that the vast majority of people did not receive communion at Mass. And that was partly due because people were not in a state of grace, but it was also due because there were some false theological opinions floating out there that made the reception of Holy Communion, uh, made the dispositions necessary to receive communion way too strict. So there were some kind of rigorous opinions out there that said, you have to be free of venial sin and all affection of venial sin before you receive communion. Okay, And so that was the thinking of some people. And of course, there was always the, the, the proper opinion that we hold today uh, out there, but it was a kind of a debate. Okay, And this debate would continue on for hundreds of years. And at the Council of Trent in the 16th century, around the year 1550 or so, the council said clearly, it is Christ's will that those who are present at Mass receive communion. Okay, so you would have thought that solved the issue. It didn't. The debate continued on. And in fact, all the way into the 19th century and into the early part of the 20th century, it was still the case that a good majority of people would not receive communion. So to solve this debate once and for all, there was a formal decree made by Pius X, Pope Pius X in 1905. And he, he really... he closed the door on this theological uh, conflict. He says simply this, you don't need to be free of venial sin or any kind of inclination. And he says frequent reception of Holy Communion, even for lay people, even daily, is spiritually beneficial and to be uh, encouraged. Okay, so that, now many people have been saying that, but they weren't as authoritative as the Pope. So once the Pope said it, debate was over. 
Um, but he didn't say it's a free-for-all. There's absolutely no dispositions required whatsoever. He did still say, you know, here are the dispositions. You have to be free of mortal sin, okay? And you have to have a right intention. Now, this right intention consists out uh, consists in uh, not receiving out of routine, like la-di-da-di-da, here I am, I'm just going to go and do what everybody else is doing. Uh, not receiving out of vainglory, like if you think you're really holy or something, I don't know. Uh, and or human respect, okay. So I'm doing it because everybody else is doing it, all right. What the proper intention to receive Holy Communion is that you want to please God, and you want to become more closely united with Him in charity, and you want to find a cure for your own moral uh, weaknesses. That's the proper intention uh, with which you should approach uh, the table of communion. And uh, Pius X goes on and he says that an adequate preparation should be made. Now, I was very edified. I got out of the confessional at 8.15. I'm very edified to come and to see, first of all, the large number of men here who are present. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, how prayerful many people were. I come out, it's 15 minutes before Mass, and there were many, many people uh, very much engaged in prayer. It's a beautiful, edifying thing, and we're doing what Pius X told us to do in 1905. So we need to have an adequate preparation to to, uh, to open up our hearts to receive that divine master who's going to be coming. And then he says that after receiving communion, you should receive a thanksgiving. I'm sorry, you should make a thanksgiving. Um, and so when you receive the Lord, who is our divine guest, into our hearts, we give thanks to him. There's a funny story. Probably some of us have heard this story. St. Philip Neri observed that there was a gentleman who would commonly receive communion, and he jet right out the door after receiving it. And so he had one of the altar boys take a candle and follow this guy down the street. Okay, the light. Remember the lighting the lamps. Have your lights. Uh, have your lamps lit. And so the symbol being of the lamp is a symbol of the presence of Christ. And it was St. Philip Neri was saying to this guy, after you receive communion, you are a walking tabernacle. Don't forget who you have present in you. Uh, and we want to ask ourselves, how long do the sacramental species uh, persist in our stomachs? It's kind of a funny question, but how long do they persist in our stomachs after receiving? Well, 10 minutes, 15 minutes about. Okay, So the Lord is with us all the time, but he's with us in a special Eucharistic manner for about 10 minutes or 15 minutes after receiving. Let's be mindful of that and uh, give a thanksgiving. At that time, uh, when we give our thanksgiving, our petitions will be heard uh, more so than at any other time. So if there are special petitions that you have, ask the Lord uh, to answer them at that time. It's a very special time. It's really the most important 10 minutes of your week. If you go to daily Mass, it's the most important 10 or 15 minutes of your day. It's the high point. It is the reception of that divine Master uh, coming in to, uh, to commune with us. And he, uh, if I can do one more minute here, sorry for going a little long. Um, note in the gospel, the divine master is going to actually serve the servant. The servant is going to sit down and the master is going to serve him. That is an amazing gift. What are the benefits that the divine master gives? When we receive Holy Communion with the proper dispositions, it gives us strength to overcome sinful passions. It forgives venial sin. It blots out venial sin. 
And it gives us strength to avoid mortal sin in the future. These are the services rendered by the divine master who seats his servant at the table and himself serves him. So my brothers and sisters, in closing the third precept, it might sound funny at first, but really it's a reminder that we need to be properly disposed to receive Holy Communion. And given this great gift, let us all do the best we can to be properly disposed.